Good afternoon and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast presented by Supernet. I'm Joe Dworsky, the president of retail banking for Supernet, which is the only payment network that enables true credit card solutions for the cannabis industry, both merchants and consumers. Each week, our podcast will take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate both businesses and listeners like you on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest is a seasoned banking executive with over 20 years of experience across the banking and financial services industry. He has personally launched multiple cannabis banking programs as team lead at commercial banks and has acted as consultant to dozens of other financial institutions banking cannabis across the country. Previously, he also held positions as an advisory panel board member for Pace University's Lubin School of Business, as well as served as a member of the Banking and Financial Services Committee for the National Cannabis Association. And finally, he is a veteran of the United States Army. Currently, he is the Director for Specialty Banking with Hanover Bank on Long Island. Please welcome to the show, Peter Sue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the for that. I understand you recently joined Hanover Bank as the Director of Specialty Banking. Uh, I assume you're going to be launching a cannabis banking program, but why don't you share for our listeners uh, exactly what your role and responsibilities are and what you're developing over at Hanover Bank? Specialty banking is financial services code word for high compliance. <laughs> <laughs> so anything that is uh, that that the compliance department would probably consider high risk. And then, of course, uh, my personal favorite subject is cannabis banking. Part of what my first duty will be to create a cannabis banking program for Hanover. We don't currently have a cannabis program that I'm in the process of building it out. How long does it usually take to build out? a cannabis banking for program for an institution that is first getting into the space? It really depends on the scope of perhaps your vision, uh, the knowledge of the, of the team that's involved, everyone's availabilities and, and things like that. I think we're moving at a pretty good pace and I expect to be able to launch in, in another month or two. So, you know, I figure all in, that's going to be about three months or so. But if you think about it, starting from scratch, that means writing p- policy, writing procedure, um, convincing the board. I mean, it, it's it's a lot. Can you share with our audience, you know, this is an emerging market, if you will. And a lot of people are not familiar with the fact that, that banking does exist for the cannabis industry. Even though it's not approved on a federal le- level, there are, you know, a plethora of banks that offer cannabis banking uh, programs for the community. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the size of that market, the number of banks, the direction growth that you see for cannabis banking in the next several years? You know, it's an interesting discussion, I guess, point. So FinCEN, uh, the Financial Crime Enforcement Network, believe it or not, they track a statistic so they say that there is uh, just under 700. I think the last number was 695. So, so let's call it 700. 700 financial institutions across the country that are banking cannabis. Um, again, that's according to FinCEN. 
Now, most insiders would agree that that number is way too high. We think it's closer to like 150, maybe 200. The reason why there's a discrepancy is is basically how FinCEN comes to that number. What they do is they they essentially track who are filing, uh, continuously filing uh, marijuana-related SARS. So in other words, you're an institution and you're filing you know, either limited or priority cannabis-related SARS. Uh, can you just explain uh, uh, what a SARS report is for our listeners who are not familiar? A SAR, Suspicious Activity Report. So there's there's a there's a there's lots of different SARS, and so in this case, uh, so you know, Joe, as you pointed out, you know, it, it's it, on the federal level, it is federally illegal, right? So you suspect that there are marijuana-related activities going on in this particular account, you are required uh, to to file a SAR on that account, and therein lies the the first rub when it comes to cannabis banking. It, it creates a lot of extra work because of all the SARS. And and mind you, you're doing those every quarter. So a typical bank, and I'm sorry, typical, let, let, let's say a, um, you know, a, a regional bank. I mean, right now, my only file a handful of SARS a year with the cannabis program. And, you know, God willing, it's a successful one with, with hundreds of customers. You go from filing a handful to hundreds of SARS. So it, it is it is a significant uptick in the amount of work involved. So I would say, you know, we, we believe uh, we meaning insiders, people that kind of work in the industry, we think the number is closer to like 150, maybe 200 financial institutions. So banks or credit unions that are banking cannabis. It sounds like a big number, but let's put it into perspective. There's almost there's 10,000 financial institutions in America, roughly. So. That means that the seven hundred. Well, you're breaking you're breaking down the ten thousand, you know, both banks and credit unions combined. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So if you put that into perspective, let, let's say the seven hundred number. That's a less than ten percent, right? And if it's the one fifty number, well, then it's it's a lot smaller than that number, there, right? Another thing to consider is that's across the entire country. So we know at this point, there's 38 states with a medical program, 23 states with a recreational or adult use program. So that means that in any given state, that there's only a handful of institutions willing to bank cannabis. Having said that, there's a handful of institutions willing to bank cannabis. So if you're a cannabis company, you know, a legal one, obviously, mm-hmm. and you are looking for an account, conceptually, you, you should be able to get banking. So I, I actually think this idea that there's no cannabis banking available, uh, in my mind, is a little bit of a myth, an urban legend. Um, now, it is a significantly underbank industry, right, in terms of capability, capacity, and cost. Mm-hmm. To me, that's where, you know, a company like Supernet comes in. Your product, I mean, talk about changing the dynamic of that capability, capacity, and cost. What, what you're doing will be is going to be revolutionary. We feel so as well, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I, I think that you know, for myself, coming relatively new uh, to this space, I came out of banking just like yourself, but into the cannabis space is relatively new. I was surprised to find out that a number of my portfolio banks that I dealt with in my prior life had cannabis banking programs. So it seems to me that a number of banks that are getting into the cannabis banking industry, they see the opportunity, but they want to, you know, be under the radar. So it's not well publicized, if you will. Uh, I guess there's a little hesitation, but at the same time, they want to be, you know, first to market to capture as much market share 
as possible before it's approved on a federal level. Do you experience, do you, have you seen that in your travels um, that these programs are operating under, under the radar, if you will? Actually, I don't know if you know this. It used to be common practice. So in the early days, so we're talking, you know, five, six years ago, let's say, you almost every institution that was banking cannabis would actually have their clients sign NDAs, so non-disclosure agreements. In other words, hey, you're a cannabis company, we'll bank you, but please don't tell anybody. <laughs> wow, I, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. <laughs> it was actually common practice to, to, to have someone sign an NDA. So you know how in banking, normally when you do a piece of financing, you know how you, you, you tout that from the, from the top of the mountain. There's, right. there's, a, there's a sign outside that building that says this, this building was financed by so-and-so. If, if you think about it, look, look around, you can, you know, Google it. You won't find that <laughs> in, in cannabis, but obviously those deals are happening, right? <laughs> so that's true. That, that's so a very interesting point. Yeah. So, so it's sort of interesting. I mean, bank financing is starting to happen in cannabis, believe it or not. Again, another urban legend it's still limited in scope and, and heavily tilted towards real estate based transactions. And when your program is launched, your goal is to be able to offer all the ancillary services to the um, to the industry. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in so much as a commercial bank, uh, you know, the, the, whatever a standard bank is doing in uh, you know just regular commercial banking, my vision is to bring that to cannabis subject to approvals, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> well, given that you just joined Hanover and you're building the program, timing couldn't have been better because they just passed, was it last year, uh, cannabis legislation in the state of New York. So that's a positive for your, uh, for your institution as you built out the program. How many, how many licenses have been issued and granted in the state of New York, if you know? So here, not to split hairs, but it's a question of like granting a license and that license actually becoming operational, which is a problem that, that, that we are facing here in New York. So just under 300 cultivators in New York and almost 500 retail licenses in the state of New York. But out of that number, and, and again, this has been you know big news for us, right? We've only operationalized something less than 20 of the retail stores. The, the challenge, as you can see then, is that you've got 200 plus cultivators. So these are growers, right? And last year, so, you know, you always have to plan a year in advance, right? They, they planted a crop. This year, there's no stores <laughs> to sell those crops to, or there's not enough stores rather. So unfortunately, that has been a challenge. Um, but from my perspective, the timing kind of worked out because had I tried to start a program, let's say a year ago, well, we would have kind of sat around twiddling our thumbs because there just wouldn't be enough licensees to bank. By the time I launched this program, the, the New York cannabis program, meaning statewide, looks like it'll be in full bloom, you know, and, and that that's actually good for the bank. So what has been the, the logjam in getting these dispensaries up and running and operational if they're if they've been issued the license what's the obstacle is it financing uh it's hard to peg one particular reason there there's a myriad of reasons i i, I would say financing certainly is a factor you know new york also took a very very strong progressive stance on who's going to get licensed so the state 
heavily focused on a particular category of licenses that we're calling COD, C-A-U-R-D. So simply put, if you had had a, a marijuana-related conviction in the state of New York, you were prioritized in the licensing process. Now, from a social impact perspective, you can see how, wow, that's great. That's social justice, right? Hey, this was, a, this was illegal under our laws, and now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. We're going to put you at the front of the line for that industry. <laughs> but Joe, you're an experienced banker. How do we take that person from a compliance, BSA, risk perspective? How do we take that person that has a record and bank them? It's hard. <laughs> it's a answer. conundrum. It's a conundrum, <laughs> to yeah. say the least. But that's interesting. Well, it sounds like uh, there's tremendous opportunity and the timing uh, is good for you at Hanover Bank. So congrats on that. Now, is Hanover going to be uh, obviously uh, going tri-state and nationwide, or are you just going to focus on uh, the state of New York? Like any new program, um, you certainly want to start, you, you want to crawl, walk, run, you know? So I, I, I don't have any specific mandates to stay in any particular lane. But it is prudent, of course, to, to, to start in your own backyard. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, that, that's helpful. Now, obviously, uh, we've all read the papers and hear on the news what's going on in terms of you know, banking legislation for cannabis and what's going on in the processing industry. Last year, we heard about the crackdown on cashless ATMs. And uh, as recent as last week, we uh, heard that now MasterCard is announces a ban on their debit card transactions for cannabis purchases. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the recent news on MasterCard and what that means for the industry, if you will? You have no cashless ATMs. MasterCard is now you know, cracking down. What obstacles does that create? And what are your thoughts on where this goes? My thoughts are with the merchants. I sympathize that a merchant now, a cannabis merchant, has payment issues. When you have payment issues, what do you do? It's easier to go cash, which is not a problem, right? Cash is king. But what do you do when there's a lot of cash? Well, cash is expensive to deal with. The logistics of it is annoying. It's expensive. And let's be honest, it's potentially a security concern. Mm -hmm. So it's not. I've heard there's been uh, on the news, the local news up in the Tri-State area. That's yeah. been an issue. People, uh, dispensaries getting robbed because of all the cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's what it really comes down to. It's not as if that this means that the store can't operate. It just means that now you, you're kind of forced to be cash only. Having said that, so yes, like, again, my sympathies, my empathies are, are with the merchants that are being affected. And again, Joe, you know this, this idea, this position that some people have taken where it's like, oh, no, MasterCard has cracked down or MasterCard has taken it, has, has pivoted. That's actually not true. The association, so MasterCard, Visa, et cetera, right, they, they've been very consistent on this issue, on this topic. They don't want cannabis transactions on their network. They have said this over and over again, right? In in the ease case, like they're on record. They, 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 this there's a testimony. This is this is all public information. So this idea that this is a new position that they've come out, you know, swinging or something like that, that is not true. Right. 
They're just cracking down because people are trying to go yeah. through the back door, if you will. Yeah. The, the, the fact of the matter is it's the processors, it, all these like payment processors that pop up and um, they seem to pop up, you know, all the time that decides, well, we, I found the loophole. I found a way to, to process this transaction on the MasterCard rail, even though they told me I shouldn't <laughs> because I can do it like this. Right? right. But then great. You, you found a loophole that worked. But then don't act surprised when the loophole gets closed, right? But again, I don't want to sound unsympathetic. I, as, as I said, that was, that's why I addressed it first. I, I want to make it clear. I support the cannabis merchants. They should have payment options. Yeah, but, let's, let's not, but let's not act like the, the, the association screwed you over. They have always said the same thing. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I think that you know bodes favorably for what we're building over at Supernet because yeah. we own the rails. You know, we're building our own rails uh, right. to operate on as well as, you know, our, our own train car, if you will. That's the analogy I use. Yeah. The SuperNet card is your train yeah. and uh, the rails is the processor. So we're building that full ecosystem. So we control uh, the tracks and we control who runs on those tracks. Right. Uh, okay. So therefore, there, there, there's going to be no gray area. And it, it's needed for the industry. So we're, you know, we're excited to, um, you know, get this launched. And I think it will be uh, timely given what's yeah. going on in the industry. I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience with some of your articles that you've written for Rolling Stone, which I found very uh, interesting. Um, are you a, I, I know you're a contributor for the Rolling Stone Culture Council. I've been in banking 20 plus years. I feel like I have a number of accolades, accreditations, licenses. No one is impressed with any of that until I say, oh, I write articles for Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I could say, you know, I, I mean, you, you've yep. been on my LinkedIn page. I, I have 17 certifications. No one cares. <laughs> the question that they ask me is, oh, I saw your article in Rolling Stone. I find it interesting, you know, being able to be a contributor to Rolling Stone. So can you talk a little bit about that and this culture council? That's what it's called. Fortunate and honored uh, to be in a position where I am able to contribute articles to Rolling Stone and obviously provided they they agree and they like it and stuff like that, that they will publish it um, from time to time. So, you know, I've had a number of articles. Uh, Obviously, as, as a banker, my articles are typically more about uh, the, the business side of cannabis and you know banking and financing and things like that. So I try to I try to stay um, authentic. I guess the term is I, I I don't talk about I don't typically talk about like products or flavor or stuff like that. Um, I stay in my lane. I, I mostly talk about again the banking, the financing, and the business side of it. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the safe banking legislation that's been held up? Obviously, everybody uh, you know was uh, heavily anticipating something to happen at the end of last year. Nothing happened. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, safe banking and your views and, you know, your thoughts on how that might help or not help at all, you know, uh, with uh, cannabis banking? Yeah, you know, I had a funny reflection on that recently. Uh, so uh, I've been in cannabis banking about um, been about 10 years since the legislation was first introduced. And we're at we're on our ninth attempt <laughs> at passing safe banking. I don't know if this is going to be shocking for anybody, but you know, when the legislation was first introduced, it was introduced as a band-aid. It was considered low-hanging fruit, meaning it was conceptually, it was kind of like, well, 
hey, look, the nation is far apart on federal legalization of cannabis. Um, now, again, contextually, keep in mind, 10 years ago, we only had medical cannabis, right? So we're talking the early days of California, Colorado, et cetera. The, the basic message was, well, we're really far apart on federal legalization, but hey, we can all agree that legal can legal businesses should have access to banking, right? Right. Now, ten years, <laughs> ten years later, we're still talking about safe banking. Really low hanging fruit anymore? Are we are we closer to federal legalization than we are to safe banking? I mean, I guess I would talk. I would think about the practical impact of safe banking at, at this point in time, right? Like, so ten years ago was a great idea. Mm-hmm. Ten, ten years later, um, again, FinCEN estimates there's almost 700 financial institutions banking cannabis. So if safe banking was to pass, let's say today, what would change? Um, well, I, I would think that it's, a, listen, it's, a, it's absolutely a good thing because more institutions will get in. They will get into the game. And what will that do? That will help the merchants because there'll be competition. So it'll drive up competition, it'll drive up capacity, it will drive down costs, right? I guess one of the questions would be, and, and, and you know, unless you know, you and I would, won't be able to settle this here, what, is, what will the final language look like? Because if all we get out of safe banking, and of course we assume this because it's called safe banking, if all we get out of it is a checking account, <laughs> then, let, then let's be honest, not much. Not much is going to change. Now, if it includes language about things like credit cards, um, loans, you know, listing to the public markets, well, that would be different. That would be a sea change. And I remember the last version of safe banking did have some language about ancillary providers. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that is, a, that is the political chess of like, okay, this means credit cards. Net, pos- net, net, I think it's a positive. I would love to see it pass. It frankly, would help my business. The practical impact of it, if we're just talking about banking, meaning checking account, savings account, the practical impact is not much. Mm-hmm. Well, for those listeners out there who you know aren't from the banking sector like ourselves, you know Hanover Bank is getting into the bank cannabis banking business there are about 150 200 let's say banks that are banking cannabis but we haven't passed safe banking so the question probably people are saying well how can they do it if it's not approved in a federal level there's no safe banking legislation is it okay to what they're doing how do they report to the regulators so can you talk a little bit about you know obviously all banks have regulators so how do the regulators view these cannabis banking programs and what hoops do you have to jump through you know on a quarterly basis uh, for the call reports and for your audits to to satisfy the regulators you actually have a pretty well trodden path at this point so in 2014 uh fincen again the financial crime enforcement network did in fact release a set of guidance. So Vincent 2014 guidance, <laughs> very cleverly named. So BSA expectations for, for, for marijuana-related banking. That is where all this tracking started when they started tracking that number, which again, today they're saying is almost 700, right? Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, uh, believe it or not, that we, we, we have a pretty clear set of like, okay, these are our expectations. Our meaning an examiner coming into your bank, your credit union, they will pull out the FinCEN 2014 guidance and say, okay, show me how you're doing this. Show me how you're doing that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now that said, FinCEN 2014 is a double-edged sword, right? Like it, it, it is a copy and paste of the Cole Memorandum. The Cole Memorandum was originally designed for prosecutors, so state-level prosecutors, right? So this is like, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, federal prosecutors. Point is, it, it makes sense reading it from a Justice Department perspective. It makes a little less sense reading it from a banking perspective. Certain things are not extremely practical for, for a bank to enforce. So as an example, there's a clause in there that says, ensure that no, um, no sale, ensure no sales to minors, which, you know, of course, we all agree on that. But how does a bank ensure that? Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we generally just ask the client to attest, right? Like, oh, attest, attest to this. The banks that are building the framework and the programs, if you will, currently following the guidelines that have been um, issued really have a, a first mover advantage, if you will, uh, before it's approved on a federal level. So, you know, t- from you said it will help your business, but it seems like right now a limited number of banks, um, your neighborhood who are participating. So that gives you, I would think, gives you a leg up to, to gain some market share. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, at the risk of sounding like I'm inviting more competitors into the pool, <laughs> in this current environment, so from a banking perspective, I'm, 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 I'm specifically speaking to the inverted yield curve. Mm-hmm. Deposits cost too much to get and loans don't make enough. So cannabis is actually the perfect answer for that. You have, in a relative sense, low cost deposits a captive audience, you know, with that, without much competition, with, with lesser competition, you have loans that because there is a perceived risk involved, you can price at a premium. So yeah, you're making, you're, you're paying less for it, for the deposit, and you're making more if you're willing to lend. Exactly. And that, that's yeah. a perfect, uh, a perfect ingredient for increasing uh, the NIM, if you will. And that's probably a reason many banks have chosen to get into uh, cannabis banking because I know right. from my prior life, the banks that I've dealt with, with the inversion of the curve, you know, what's going on in the economy, they're clamoring for deposits, clamoring right. for deposits. And uh, they're going to the brokered, uh, you know, brokered arena, if you will, because, you know, a lot of customers are pulling deposits because of the low rate environment um, that banks are pain. A lot of yeah. banks, re, a lot of community banks are not passing on the rate increases we've seen by the Fed over the, you know, in the last uh, year and a half plus. I see, you know, all those accreditations on your LinkedIn page. Your, Which no one asks about. No one ever. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why I have to, because no one does. So I, th- I think it's interesting. I think it's, you know, uh, you know, informative for our listeners, but I see that you're also a board member for the Asian Cannabis Roundtable. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I am the uh, treasurer of Asian Cannabis Roundtable. So, you know, there's a lot of affinity groups um, and, and a lot in cannabis. We are one of the only ones that are uh, Asian focused. So our mission is pretty simple. Uh, uh, there's two sides of it. One is advocacy, right? So just, hey, inserting the Asian voice. So our place at the table, if you will. Uh, the other side is a little bit more pithy. We are, we're a business development organization. So, you know, frankly, myself and Kristen Jordan, uh, she, she's the founder. 
and, and all the founding members, we kind of looked around the cannabis industry and we realized that there was a lot of Asians <laughs> in cannabis. Uh, and, and quite a few in, in, in prominent positions, you know, like uh, Kristen, for example, is frequently a keynote speaker at all the big cannabis events. You know, she has ran, you know, large real estate portfolios for the big, big MSOs. So a very prominent, well-known name in the industry. And our thought is pretty simple. Hey, we, we want to obviously network with each other but also promote the next generation of Asians that may want to think about getting into the cannabis industry because specifically in the Asian uh, uh, culture, there is a very strong stigma against cannabis. So we're hoping to promote, to change that, frankly. This has been a great interview, Peter. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, uh, your busy day as you're building the program over at Hanover Bank to join today's show and speak to our listeners and educate them on, you know, the cannabis banking sector as well as what you're doing uh, at Hanover Bank. Uh, can you, uh, you know, for those listeners who are in banking or who are dispensaries or MSOs and they want to learn more about what you're doing at Hanover Bank, how can uh, our listeners uh, find you and reach out to you? The easiest thing is I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, so, you know, definitely look me up. Um, it, it'll be easy to find me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's where I am the, the easiest to reach. And for those uh, listening, it's Peter. Everybody knows how to Peter and his last name is Sue, S-U. Peter Sue on LinkedIn. Uh, well, thanks again, Peter, and uh, thanks for listening to Freedom to Buy, uh, presented by Supernet. Uh, you can learn more uh, about our payment network uh, visiting our website at supernet.ai. Uh, you can listen to uh, this episode as well as past episodes of Freedom to Buy uh, by going to cannabisradio.com. Uh, you can also get the Cannabis Radio app. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, thank you again for joining us this afternoon. And we look forward to speaking to you next week on our next Freedom to Buy podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.